Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Let's open our Bibles to my favorite book of the Bible, to the book of Philippians, if you will. And I want you to find Philippians chapter number 4. I love Philippians. I really do. It is a book of Christian joy. I still believe God's people ought to be the happiest people on planet Earth. It doesn't mean life's easy. It doesn't mean you don't have problems, but it means the joy of the Lord's your strength, and uh, God gives grace for the journey. How many of you have a favorite book of the Bible? I'm just curious. You have a favorite book. Wave at me. You have a favorite book? Good. On the count of three, shout out your favorite book. One, two, three. That's a great book, whatever you said, if it comes from the Bible, right? Philippians is mine. And when I need encouragement, I go back to the book of Philippians again and again. I'm going to bring you to Philippians chapter 4, really to one truth in this closing session we have together, one truth. I'm going to give you a two-word sermon. Some of you are saying, praise God, we've been waiting on one of those. But it's going to take a few minutes to explain the two words, powerful words. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you know which two words I'm talking about? The two words at the end of verse number 11. These words, be content. And we all love to quote verse 13. Everybody said, that's my life verse. I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. Well, don't miss the context of the text. See, they're all connected. And in verse number 11, he says, you got to learn to say the two words with me. Would you, church? Be content. Say it again. What am I speaking on? If I ask tomorrow morning, what did I speak on at the end of the day yesterday? You're going to say what? Good. If I come back tomorrow night and say, what did we talk about yesterday? You're going to say, if I call your house at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, what did I preach on? You're going to say, no, you're not. You're going to say, what are you calling my house for? Be what? Content. We're living in a restless world. We're living in a world of people searching, not content. The sad reality is I see it in churches. And it's not just lost people who are looking for something to fill the void and the vacancy, but somehow, somehow we have missed something. Somehow Christian people, church-going people uh, who, who say that Christ is everything and I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me and love to quote verses like that. Somehow it seems like they're so restless and so discontent. Did you know discontentment is actually a mark of carnality? I could prove it. I could take you to the end of our Bible and I could show you that John wrote about a man named Diotrephes. Anybody remember Diotrephes? He made a lot of trouble in the church. He, he stirred up a lot of mess. And one of the things that marked Diotrephes, the Bible says that he was not content therewith. I say again, discontentment is a mark of diatrophies. It is, it is a sign, a characteristic of carnality. 
When you're walking in the flesh, you're never fully content. When you're doing it your way, when you're, when you're living like everybody else in the world, there's always something missing. It's only spiritual people, spirit-filled, spirit-led people who really have learned this secret of great contentment. In 1900, they took a survey of people, just average, everyday Americans. And supposedly, they, they did it across several uh, different uh, platforms and and uh, different groups of people in different regions, just average Americans, and they asked them to identify on paper what they would need to be happy. I read the study. It was fascinating to me. Here it is in 1900. The average American, when they boiled it all down, identified 72 things they needed to make them happy, 72 things. They said, 1900, if I could have these 72 things, this, this would make us happy. We'd be content with this. Half a century later, they came back, 1950, and did the exact same survey. In 1950, the average Americans surveyed, compiled a list of what they would need to make them happy, and in 1950, the list had then grown to 496 things. In 50 years, we went from 72 things to 496 things. I really wish they would have done it in 2000. I'd love to see what the list looks like in in 2020 because there's something in all of us that says, I need more. I need more. Somebody said, if I could just get that house, if I could just have that job, if we could just take that vacation, if I could just get that much money set aside for retirement, then then I'd be content. Oh, really? Why don't you ask Adam and Eve how that worked out? Did it ever dawn on you that Eve is the only woman in history that can say she had a perfect husband? Truly. Before the fall, I mean, she had a perfect husband. And Eve is the only woman in history that can say she had the perfect home to live in. In every way, it was perfect. And yet, watch this, please. Though they were perfect people living in a perfect circumstance, Eden was not enough. If you could get it all ordered exactly like you want to get it ordered, even Eden would not be enough. Still, there was that one tree, that one tree. Isn't it strange how it's the one thing that we don't have, we think we have to have. That's why in Proverbs, the Bible warns against strange flesh. That doesn't mean they look weird. Strange means that doesn't belong to you. There's something in all of us that says, what doesn't belong to me needs to belong to me. And there are people, there are married people that think, if I could have a different spouse, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't, because the problem's not the spouse, the problem's you. Somebody said, well, if we could just have a, a boat, if we could just get another toy, if we could just get whatever, look, Those things can never complete the part of you that only Christ can complete. You can never, ever, ever be content that way. Eden is not enough. By the way, what made Eden Eden? Only one thing, the presence of God. It wasn't the beautiful trees and the vegetation and the animals that made Eden Eden. It was the presence of Almighty God. And until Christ has His rightful place in our hearts and homes... We will never be content. See, the secret to contentment is Christ himself. We'll come full circle back to that thought in just a moment, but let me give you some just simple ideas that all come from the text. And notice this first of all. Would you write this down? Number one, I want you to write down that contentment has to be learned. (laughs) It's not natural. You know why it's not natural? Because your natural way is like mine. You always want something else and something more. There's another word for that. You know what it's called? Sin nature. 
No, it's not natural. It's supernatural work of grace in our life, which means that contentment must be learned. I'll prove it to you. Everybody look at verse number 11. Mark this in your Bible. Paul says, for I have what? Learned. Underline that in verse 11. I have learned. Now, let me really show you something interesting. Come to verse 12, middle of the verse, and mark this phrase, I am instructed. In verse 11, it's past tense. In verse 12, it's present tense. Did you know there's some lessons you keep learning over and over in life? May I tell you that the lesson of being content is one of those lessons you never fully learn. You're always learning it. Funny, years ago, I preached a sermon on contentment. I preached a sermon on contentment. And I gave it at the Temple Baptist Church, and it was, it was live-streamed and recorded, and it was on a platform where people saw it. And a couple of weeks went by, and I came into the office one morning, and I was having one of those days. Any of you ever have one of those days? I was fussing, muttering under my breath and grumbling. Nothing was going right, and I wasn't happy, and there was none of the joy of the Lord on my countenance that day, let me tell you. I walked into the office, and the secretary said, somebody called, and uh, they, they left a message for you. And I, I picked up the message and looked at it, and it had their name, and underneath it, it had two words. You know what the two words were? Be content. And I said, I don't understand. And she said, well, I didn't have time to finish filling it out. This person listened to your message this week that was recorded and online and just called to let you know that it was a blessing to them. And I said, thank you. And I walked in my office and I sat down. I still had it in my hand. And I sat down and looked at that piece of paper and the Holy Spirit said to me, I had them call for you today. Funny how sometimes your own preaching comes back to haunt you. And I looked at that piece of paper and I thought, Lord, forgive me. You've been so good to me. And here I am, instead of being grateful, being, being a grumbler today, dear Lord, Forgive me. i got to learn this again. i got to learn it again. By the way, not only did Paul have to learn it, the Philippians had to learn it. If you back up to verse number 9, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul said, I learned it. Now you got to learn it. Let's go a step further. You and i got to learn it. Back up to verse number 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Everybody wants that peace of God in their heart and mind. Well, I'm going to tell you, you don't get the peace of God in your heart and mind. You don't live a life resting in the Lord until you learn that Jesus is enough. And you've got to learn again and again to be content. Let me show you something. Everybody hold your place here. Just hold your place in Philippians. We're coming back. Turn over a few pages to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul wrote to Timothy. It's interesting how these same themes keep coming up in different portions of Scripture. Why? Everybody needs it. And every generation needs it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's describing the world we live in in verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Well, that sounds like our world, doesn't it? Look at the end of verse 5. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But, verse 6, godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Would you like to leave here wealthy today? How many of you would like to leave this room rich? All right, I'm not going to give you any money if that's what you're thinking. But you can walk out of this room wealthy, understanding the riches you already have in Jesus Christ. We are blessed people. Part of our problem is we're so blessed we're stinking spoiled. That's what we are. You had to pick between two outfits at least, what you're going to wear today. You had means to get here, didn't you? You breathing right now? 
How many of you have eaten in the last 24 hours? Multiple times. Already thinking about what you're going to eat when I stop speaking today, aren't you? Bunch of spoiled Americans. That's what we are. And still we're not content. And forget the physical, material, temporal things. Do you have eternal life? You're going to go to heaven when you die? Then how bad can it be? So what are you fussing about? Godliness with contentment is great gain. By the way, notice in verse 5, here's modern Christianity. Gain is godliness. But here's biblical Christianity. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So the devil always flips it around. He always messes it up. Would you like to be content? Keep reading. Here's how you learn contentment. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world. All right? You want to you be content? Number one, think about where you were. Mark this word, nothing. You were nothing. <laughs> you came into the world with nothing. You came in with nothing but your naked soul. Everything you have, God gave you. James said, every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Think about where you were. Let's start there, all right? Back up and remember what you were and what you would be without God, and the answer is nothing. Keep reading, verse 7. And it is certain we can carry, there's that word again, nothing out. Nothing in, nothing out. So we go from one extreme to the other. Not only should you think about where you were, think about where you're going. Let me tell you where you're going. You're going out of this world. So go ahead, spend the rest of your life trying to be content with things in this world, but I want you to know riches make themselves wings and fly away. That's what Solomon said. How many of you live long enough to know that's true? You get a little bit of money and suddenly, where'd it go? And then, if the riches don't fly away, you're going to fly away. You're going to die. Your spirit's going to leave this world. You're going to leave all this behind, every last bit of it. You want to be content? Think about where you were. Think about where you're going. Number three, think about where you are. Look at verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Look, if you are fed and have clothes on your back, that ought to be enough for you to say, thank you, Jesus. Think about where you are right now. And then, if you really want to get content, think about where you could be. Keep reading, verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I'll tell you where you could be. You could be drowning in all the stuff you wish you had. Some of the most miserable human beings I've ever known are people who have what everybody else would say is everything. But friends, if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Contentment is learned. Let's go back to our text in Philippians quickly. Let me show you a second principle. Contentment connects to all of life. All of life. This is not just about one thing. It's about everything. And it's not in one place. It's in every place. And it's not one day. It's every day. It connects to all of life. Let me prove it to you. Look, please, at verse number 6 again. When I stop, you say the next word. Ready? Everybody looking at verse 6? Be careful for what? But in what? Okay, in verse 6, mark nothing and mark everything. Then come to verse number 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in what? Okay, so you've got nothing, you've got everything, you've got all things. Sounds like contentment connects to all of life, doesn't it? And then in verse, number, in verse number 12, he gives the extremes of life. Look at verse 12. He says, I know, this is a powerful word. He repeats it, both. How to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. 
both, to abound and to suffer need. All right, let me ask you a question. Which would you rather have? I mean, let be honest. Look at the verse. Would you rather be abased or abound? Everybody wants to abound. Would you rather be full or be hungry? Everybody wants to be full. Would you rather abound or suffer need? We all want to abound. But here's what, here's, this is powerful. Oh, this is victorious. Are you ready? It doesn't matter which extreme you're living on at this moment. Jesus will be enough at both. Contentment is in all of life. He says everywhere, every week of my life, I'm in a different place. I wake up in different time zones and, and different hotel rooms and, and have to think to myself, what state am I in today? And somebody says, well, I, that's, that's pretty rough. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered I never check into a hotel room alone, never. Jesus is with me. I never get on an airplane by myself. Somebody says, your family travel with you? Yes, when they can, but that's not always possible. And somebody says, do you like going by yourself? Well, of course not, but I've learned something. I'm never by myself because Jesus said he would never leave me and he would never forsake me. Lo, I'm with you all way, even to the end of the world. Amen to that. In all of life, everywhere, look at it, please, verse number 12, and in all things. I'm thinking now of the words of Horatio Spafford wrote on that ocean liner after his children had drowned at sea, and he went to his stateroom, and he wrote those powerful words, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How do you say that? Only when Christ is in his rightful place in your life. Contentment must be learned. And contentment is in all of life. Let me show you an interesting verse. Go to Hebrews with me very quickly. Look at Hebrews 13. I told you this theme just keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And here it's in context of family. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And we want to preach against adultery and, and whoremonging and all that kind of thing in verse number 4. But keep reading. Let your conversation be without covetousness and... What's the next two words, church? There they are again. Be content. You almost get the idea God's trying to tell us something, don't you? Would you mark two words in your Bible in verse 5? Covetousness and content. Everybody lives one of two ways. You either live covetous or content. You know what covetousness is? It's wanting what God does not want for you. You know what contentment is? Being satisfied with what God has chosen for you. I ask you a simple question. Is Jesus enough? then why don't we live that way? Contentment is being satisfied with His sufficiency. Read on. He says, Be content with such things as you have, for He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do unto me. This is how you can live on both extremes and still be content. You know, almost when you read Philippians, it's so beautiful. I mean, Honestly, the, the wording, the verbiage is so beautiful. You would imagine, if you didn't know better, that Paul's sitting somewhere on the beach under a little umbrella. Somebody's bringing, you know, cold drinks to him, and he's writing, you know, I'm content where I am. No, Paul's sitting in jail writing Philippians chapter 4. This is one of his jailhouse letters, and he's living what he's teaching. And he's saying to all of us, no matter who you are, where you are, what circumstance you're in, if Christ has his rightful place in your heart and home, you can be content. Let me give you one more truth. Go back to Philippians chapter 4. We'll finish here. Contentment is not only learned. It has to be learned again and again in God's school. And contentment not only connects to all of life, but number three, this is so simple, but it's the bottom line. Contentment is only found in the Lord. 
Do you see that the contentment that is spoken of in verse 11 and verse 12 leads to the Christ of verse number 13? I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It doesn't say I can. I can do all things. I get so sick of hearing professional athletes use this verse to say they can be a better ball player because that is not what this verse is about. This verse is about a Christian letting Jesus have his rightful place in his life so much so that when he's at the bottom, Jesus is enough. Not when he's a success in the world's eyes. When he's nothing and when he has nothing, he still has everything because he has Jesus Christ. And this is really interesting. Did you know that Paul used a word that was famous in his day, but it was used by people who were false teachers? The word that he uses here for contentment was a word that a, that a group called the Stoics used. If I say someone's Stoic, what do we mean by that? Rigid, stiff, they're Stoic. Well, there was a group called the Stoics, and their religious teaching was, you can do this, and it's like, you're the man, you're enough. They taught a self-sufficiency. That was, that was Stoicism in Paul's day. And they loved to use this word that was used for contentment to teach their doctrine. And I love this. The Apostle Paul took that word and sanctified it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and said, these people can't tell you how to be, how to be sufficient because your sufficiency is not in you. Your sufficiency has to be in Jesus. Look, if your contentment's in you, you're going to be a pretty disillusioned human being. If your satisfaction is in people, even the best people, watch this, even the people that live at your house, the people that are nearest and dearest to you on earth will let you down at some point. The only person who never disappoints and who never, who never lets you down is Christ when he has his rightful place in your life. And so what do we learn? And we're learning that to be content, we have to find our place in Christ's purpose and let Christ have his rightful place in our life. I'm thinking now of the words that hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look, the world can never give you what the Lord can give you. Don't believe me? Ask the prodigal. Nothing but a bunch of hog pen mess. That's what he had. But at daddy's house, at home, bread enough and to spare. One of the most contented human beings I ever knew was my Aunt Goldie. I wish, I wish I could introduce her to you. You'll meet her in heaven someday. She's been with the Lord now for many years. I helped her with her funeral. As a boy growing up, I used to ride my bike, my bicycle past her house on my way to my grandparents out in the country. And You know, when you're young, you're dumb. You know that, right? I really should have stopped. I should have stopped more often. She had something. I felt sorry for her, honestly, because she was a widow. My whole life she was a widow. I never, never knew her husband. He had died when she was, they were very young, and she lived the rest of her life as a widow, lived alone in the old farmhouse. They had one son. He lived in Colorado, I think it was, and he never came to visit. I never remember meeting him. One boy never came home. She made her clothes. She sewed. She, she raised a garden, raised her food. She had no money. She had nothing of this world's goods. She never forgot a birthday. Never. Never failed to give us a card with some little something in it at Christmas. She used to listen on the radio to Bible teachers, certain Bible teachers. I could say some names that you would know. They were great Bible teachers. And, and she loved God's Word, and she had Bibles and books in her house. 
I used to stop. Goldie would be sitting on her swing on her front porch. I used to stop occasionally and speak to her. And one day I was riding my bike by her house, and I saw her sitting out there, and I thought, I almost out of duty, I should go up and speak to her. And I parked that bike at the bottom of her porch and walked up those rickety steps and got up on the porch. And Goldie was sitting there swinging like she always did on that old rickety swing. And uh, she just was glowing, just glowing with the beauty of the Lord on her. Can't explain it any other way. I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm just saying she had a beauty on her. She was up in years, but she had a beauty on her. And I, I said to her, Goldie, how are you doing today? She said, better than ever. I thought she'd come into some money or something, you know. She didn't have anything. I said, really? I said, why is that? I'll never forget. She, her eyes filled with tears. She's sitting there. She said, you know, Scott, she said, I live here in this big old house by myself. And she said, nobody here but me and the Lord. And she said, it gets lonely sometimes. She said, but sometimes when there's nobody here and I'm feeling lonely, she said, I just like to get down on my knees and just look at him. Honestly, I thought, bless her heart, she's slipping. She wasn't slipping. She discovered something. There in that big old house by herself with nothing of this world's goods to be content, she had learned that she could get her eyes on Jesus she could think on Christ and in Him. She could be content. She's one of the happiest Christians I ever knew. I was a teenage preacher. I was preaching a revival meeting in Huntington, West Virginia. <laughs> I was so young I couldn't stay at a hotel by myself. So I stayed at the pastor's house. I saw a fellow named Carl Valance. I, I think now, why on earth do you have a teenager come preach a revival meeting? A beautiful church building, beautiful congregation. And I realized now he was investing in me. He, was, he wasn't thinking I could help them so much as he was helping me. He took me one afternoon upstairs in his home into a little room, and he said, I want to give you something. He went over to a bookshelf, and he took an old, crusty, dusty book off the shelf. I'll never forget, he opened the front and took out a pen and signed his name to it, a little note to me, and handed it to me. He said, this is a gift. This is a good book. You need to read this. And I'll just be honest with you, I looked at it and I thanked him. But I took it home and it was, it was you know, dusty and yellowed pages and no pictures, not my favorite at the time. And I put it on a shelf and I didn't read it for years. One day, when I was in my 20s, I guess, I saw that old book and I picked it up and I thought, you know, out of just respect for that old fellow, I ought to at least read it. And I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. In fact, it, it changed my life. It's a true story. It was a story of a man by the name of Ali Hafed, a Persian man, who had a beautiful family and a lovely farm, had a great life. A priest in that region of Persia at that particular time in history, true story, came by his home one day just talking and making conversation, and he said, have you heard about the diamond mines they've started finding around the world? He said, normal people, Ali, just like you, started finding diamonds and uh, all, all over the globe, they're getting so wealthy, they never have to work another day in their life. Did you know every sin begins with a seed of discontentment? Strange that that morning, Ali Hafed got up pretty contented, but that night he went to bed with discontentment in his heart. For days it troubled him, thinking how hard he was working and all he had to do and all he was missing out on. And one morning he got up and made a really dumb decision. Any of you ever make a decision you regret? I'm just curious. Anybody? Well, he made a really bad one. He got up one morning and sold his farm and gave his family away. 
different culture in the day, gave his wife and children to a neighbor and said, I'll be back. When I find diamonds, I'll be back from my family. Ali Hafed set off on a lifelong quest in search of diamonds. Crisscrossed the globe, spent the rest of his miserable life looking for diamonds and never found one. As an old man, he went to the bay in Barcelona, Spain, stood on the cliffs, nothing left to live for. Jumped and took his own life. Somebody said, that's a terrible story. That's not the half of it. What Ali Hafed did not know is that days after he left home, the man who bought his farm led a camel out back on the property to water it at a little creek that went through that farm. And the camel's nosing around in that creek bed, getting a drink of water, and they uncovered the most beautiful rock. The new owner picked it up, thought it was pretty, shined it up, took it inside, settled on the mantle, and the same priest came by in a few weeks to pay a visit. When he walked into the room, he saw it glistening on the mantle, and he said, Ali Hafed has returned. And he said, no. He said, why do you say that? He said, where'd you get the diamond? He said, that's not a diamond. It's just an old rock I found out back. The priest's eyes got big, and he said, show me where you found it. They went out back, got down on the creek bed, started digging around. They found another one looked just like it, and another one, and another one. They hired teams of people to come in and mine the property. They started excavating. Do you know, true story, do you know that on every acre of Ali Hafed's farm, they found diamonds? In fact, to that point in history, it was the largest discovery of a diamond mine in the world. The great diamond mine of Golconda, from which the crown jewels of many nation came. And the moral of the story was that what Ali Hafed had spent his entire life looking for was right at home all along. He'd just taken the time to work it. And I want to say to you, what most people spend their whole miserable existence looking for, searching for in this world, you have in Christ, you have in God's truth, and it is at home you will just take the time to work it and be content. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.